Welcome to Simply Walk the Talk. Our bodies and minds adapt to what we do most of the time. If you want to change your body and mind, you must change what it is you do most of the time. This podcast explores all things health, wellness, fitness, lifestyle, and biohacking. Stay tuned as we explore various thoughts, methods, and experiences from a multitude of conversations between our interesting guests and experts through many fields of work. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Simply walk the recording. Okay. So, hello everyone. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Simply Walk the Talk. I am your host Josh Holland, and today I have with me Carly Hayes from NutriSense, and I'm going to let Carly explain a little bit of her background and where she's from and and how long she's been with the company and what she does. But For those of you that have been asking me and wondering with all the different um, posts that I've been posting lately, and you see this thing on the back of my arm, you're now going to understand what that is. Okay. So Carly's going to dive into that. We're going to talk about why I'm doing it. We're going to talk about what it, what it, the information that it provides. And then obviously the, the, what's in it for you is how it may work for you or may not work for you. So uh, Carly, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to talk to you today. Um, Great introduction. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So, um, you know, I, I, I should also preface this by starting off and saying that the reason why you and I met is because I, um, I'm sure many of the listeners have been curious about this whole world of CGMs, which is continuous glucose monitors. And there's been a a huge prevalence of people using CGMs. And I I think more and more people have started to ask me over the last, let's say the last year or so, they've been asking me like, well, you know, what is that? What is it about? And so I'll start off by saying that I I did it before, back in the summertime when I was in, in LA. And it was the Freestyle Libre device because there's a few different ones out there. And I was trying to decide between Freestyle Libre and one of the other popular ones. I forget the name of it. Um, and uh, when I, when I, first of all, I had to try to, I had to get a prescription from a doctor to be able to get this because normally this is, this technology had been reserved for diabetics and people who really have, um, you know, a clinical problem. And I, on the other hand, was just looking to try to find ways to improve my health and wellness. And anyway, long story short, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants, didn't know what I was really doing or monitoring, but I was looking for spikes and drops and things of that that nature. But then I got introduced to you via NutriSense. And, um, and I was like, wow, one of the first times that you and I connected, I was like, wait, Carly, this, this, at first, it was just a uh, through the app, right? It was like 
you know, I thought you were a bot at first. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wait a minute, she really knows her stuff. And I got these long messages that have told me more information than my entire trial with the, the first time I did the CGM. So um, this is for those that are listening up to this point, continue listening because you're going to learn a lot. Carly knows her stuff. And we're going to talk about my results. And, you know, we'll just keep this conversation flowing. So Okay, you can talk now. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, it, it's been a pleasure working with you and we can dive into your specific data. But I think you did a great job of just kind of going over what a CGM is, right? So continuous glucose monitoring um, is what we're doing at NutriSense. And as you mentioned, my name is Carly. I'm the lead dietitian nutritionist there. So we're using these CGMs to, just like it sounds, monitor your glucose continuously so that you can see what your glucose or what your metabolism is doing at all times of the day. So I think a lot of times when people hear glucose, they're automatically thinking diabetes, right? I don't have diabetes. Why would I need to monitor glucose? And what we're finding now, and I think what everyone's starting to figure out is that this has been a very underutilized tool that we should have been monitoring all along, right? We always call glucose our other vital sign because we're monitoring you know, blood pressure, we're monitoring our weight, our waist circumference, all of these key pictures of our metabolic health, but glucose just wasn't something that we tapped into. And you had mentioned that all CGM devices do still need a prescription, so that's still true. And usually they're only used in people with diabetes. So a lot of times just type one diabetes or poorly controlled type two diabetes. And I think that's mm. changing, right? I think a lot of doctors, physicians are starting to realize the value of these devices as well, but you still do need a prescription. And that's where NutriSense comes in, right? We take care of that prescription for you so that you're able to get your own CGM device that you can wear and track your glucose for uh, with 14 days on each sensor. But we're also pairing you with a personal dietitian and we're not a bot, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have real live dietitians that you're assigned to. So you work with the same dietitian the entire time and they just go through your data. They help you point out any trends that they're seeing and help you improve that data over time. So I think the big thing to, to take from all of this is that glucose is really important. We have a way to monitor it and it's going to be a really powerful game changer in our health system today. And I'm glad that you found that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, so, so thanks for that explanation and breakdown, because here's the thing. I, I'll just get straight to it. What I've noticed so far, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through the ins and outs of everything, but what I've noticed each time that I've used it. So the, the first time I, when I did it on my own, and even this time now, um, I noticed that it automatically made me a bit more aware about the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm putting in my mouth, the, um, the lack of sleep, or when I do get great sleep, or when I change my workout. And, and so we'll talk about some of the things that you and I sort of work together on and, and trying to identify working out in a fasted state versus working out in a fed state, um, even traveling because Throughout this, I had to travel from New York to LA and back, and that made some changes and things like that. And so this should just be another awareness point because awareness is huge in, in my vocabulary or in my method, if you will. And just being more aware, this is another, um, another measure point that we can use to increase, increase more awareness within ourselves. So, um, so with that, let's, let's talk about, let's say 
someone wants to start off with trying to track their glucose, how would that work with within the NutriSense um, protocol? Good question. I think it's important to mention that usually when we're testing glucose, we're doing it through a finger prick device or a glucose meter, right? I think that's what everyone's familiar with. They probably know someone that's you know, having to prick their finger and test their blood glucose, um, you know, whether it's while they, when they wake up or, uh, before a meal, just to kind of see where they're at. And again, most of these people are individuals with diabetes, but a CGM is different. So you apply it to your arm so that we use the freestyle Libre and it's only, yes, it's only <laughs> on the back of the arm. So instead of having to prick yourself over and over to get multiple data points, you simply insert that sensor one time and then you have data all day long, 24 seven for 14 days. So it's a lot less painful. I think everyone's always afraid to insert it because when you pull it out, it does, I mean, you're inserting it with a needle, but the important thing to remember is that that needle does not stay in your skin. Uh, It's just there to insert. And the thing that we hear over and over again is, wow, this didn't hurt at all. I was terrified to put this on but the sound of inserting it was more terrifying than the actual <laughs> insertion of the, the sensor. And again, right. that, that needle doesn't stick in you. So it's only just this tiny little microfilament, kind of like a little hair that um, sticks into your interstitial fluid. And that measures glucose all the time, all day long. So with that, um, you're not measuring blood glucose, but you're still measuring interstitial fluid glucose, which um we can get into that, but glucose kind of flows from the plasma in the blood to the interstitial fluid. So it is the same thing. It's just a little bit different compartment that you're measuring, but having it there allows you to continue wearing that and to see all those insights all day long. So first step, you apply that sensor, you activate with your phone, and then you just have to make sure you're scanning your phone at least once every eight hours to capture all that data. And so this is really helpful for people that want to see what their glucose is doing overnight, right? Because you can't get that unless you're waking up in the middle of the night to take your finger prick or uh, your full response to meals. Because a lot of times, you know, you want to measure before a meal, you want to measure after a meal, but it's really easy to miss that midsection. And that's where we can get a lot of insight. So that CGM just allows you to see kind of like a time lapse of what your glucose and what your metabolism is doing at all times of the day. And kind of like you alluded to, this doesn't just tell us about how our diet is working, although that's a really big benefit, but there are four big pillars for glucose control. Diet is a huge one, and that includes what we're eating, when we're eating, the composition of our meals, and whether that's right for our individual body, but also exercise. How is the exercise that we're doing affecting our glucose? How is stress uh, affecting our glucose and our metabolism? How is sleep affecting our metabolism? So we call those kind of the four pillars of glucose control. And really, if one of those falls down, the whole structure can can crumble. So I think the, the beauty of wearing a CGM is that you're able to look at your habits, at your lifestyle from a holistic view and see which one of those pillars might be affecting you, if any, or if all. So... Well said. Yeah. And and thank you for that explanation, because here's the thing. I, I can admit that I thought <laughs> you had to. You, you, so you may have noticed this, but within my within my uh, my chart or whatever, um, I was scanning myself like every hour, like the first couple of days. And, and that's because I thought that with this type of setup, this kind of CGM, I thought you had to do it in order to see that. It's, so it sounds like what you're saying though, the 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 filament that stays in the arm, the the hair-like filament that stays in the arm, 
is is collecting data constantly, but it just shows up on the on the chart when you actually scan it. Is that right? Yes, 100% right. And I think a lot of times when you're first starting or if you're just really curious about this, scan as much as you want. And that's me. Whenever I wear a CGM, oh, I want to know what it's doing now. I want to know what it's doing now. So you can scan as much as you want. As long as you're not scanning fewer than every eight hours, you're going to capture everything and be able to see every single data point. So that's uh, it's measuring glucose every minute, and that's showing up in 15-minute scans. So every time you scan your sensor, you're going to see all those 15-minute scans up until that point. So uh, it's really helpful, especially if you eat a meal, right? You talked kind of about that immediate feedback, and I think that's one of the things that can make a CGM so powerful. If, say, someone's looking to lose weight, right, and they're just monitoring their weight on a scale, that can take, as you know, a long time to change. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like the effort you're putting in isn't matching what you're getting out, and that can make it hard to sustain. But when you're looking at that CGM data and you're seeing, oh, well, I ate this food, I know it's probably not the best choice for me, and then you see an immediate spike in your glucose, that's immediate real-time feedback that, oh, well, this didn't really work for me. I'm going to adjust and maybe try some different things. So with that feedback and having it be instant, we're all here for instant gratification, right? That can help you sustain those behaviors or keep your diet lifestyle where it needs to be because you're constantly seeing that data in your face at all times, just on your phone. It's, it's, it's powerful. And I must say that at least from my perspective, I, I hear this question a lot in regards to what you just mentioned, that constant monitoring. What does that do to, let's say the people that are a little bit more sensitive to EMFs and what does that do to people that are concerned about having too many, too many devices? Like, is, is that a problem in your experience? Do you think that that's something that should be you know, uh, focused on or cared about? What what are your thoughts there? That's a good question. And we do get that all the time. The cool thing about the sensor that we use is it doesn't use EMFs. So you don't have to use that. As long as you have some sort of data connection, so that's Wi-Fi or your cellular data, you can scan just once every eight hours if you kind of want to limit, you know, being on your phone or that blue light in your face all the time. So I think you can kind of do whatever works best for you. Um, I, like I said, a lot of people are really curious and they want to scan more often, but a lot of times we feel, or people feel very, um, confident because we're not using EMFs because they can kind of control how much they use the app and how much they access that data. So, um, thankfully that's not an issue. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause it sounds like from what I just learned, even myself is even though you're the, the filament is taking in the information, it doesn't use any kind of connection until you scan it, right? And then once you scan it, however long it takes to scan it is the only time that you're probably, you know, introducing any kind of Bluetooth uh, frequencies or anything of that nature, right? Right. Yeah. That's the only time you're going to be tapping into your data and using your phone to, to access that information. So, and then you know, if you wanted cool. to, and that's the cool thing about our app too, you have access to that data for as long as you need it. So it doesn't just disappear when you're done with the app. You can go back and review that and, and kind of see, oh, wow, I'm always having larger glucose responses from this food or this food. And so you always have that data to kind of back up how you're gearing your diet towards. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah so, so far people listening now, I think you should already be excited because here's a, a good way to, to not 
just take this generalized information to say, you should eat this way. You should eat that way. You should fast. You should not fast because like you touched on, and we can go more into this, stress is a major component to what your glucose levels are doing. And so let's talk about this idea of glucose and insulin and how it all sort of affects each other. Um, And then what that means to someone Say, let's say in my shoes, we can even take my data if if you want to, but let's talk about that because I think it does get confusing. There's this idea of um, insulin sensitivity and being desensitized and things like that. So for the, for the person who doesn't quite understand that, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think that's a really good starting point to have that foundation so that you know why glucose is important. Um, When we think of glucose and we think of continuous glucose monitors, we are measuring glucose only. So I think a lot of times we always hear people say, what's my insulin doing? Did I have an insulin spike? And right now we don't have a continuous insulin monitor. It's actually really hard to measure insulin. So the best thing that we can do aside from a research setting, or if you have a really uh, advanced functional practitioner that's willing to test your your insulin over the course of a meal, we can get a fasting insulin and that will give us a good baseline. Um, but what we can do is monitor glucose because that's our best proxy for how our body is using insulin and how we're responding to insulin. So when we're thinking about insulin, um, that responds to glucose in the body. So you think of it in very simplified terms, we eat food, our glucose rises, insulin, which is a hormone, is going to tell our body to, or our cells, to take that glucose in to either store it or use it for fuel right now, right? So what happens in someone that's insulin resistant is that we stop listening to that signal from insulin. So we have insulin there. It's supposed to be doing its job, but there's this blockage there and it's telling our body, yeah, I'm not going to respond to this insulin. So our body responds to that by pumping out more insulin, right? Oh, well, we're not responding Mm -hmm. to this. I better give you a little bit more. And then we see high levels of insulin in the body, but also that resistance to listen to insulin. And over time, we're stopping listening to that insulin. So glucose levels start to raise. And so that's a lot of times what we see in glucose data, right? Is your glucose levels are high. You seem to be having these larger responses to meals that might not, might be better tolerated in someone else. And that can be a sign that you are not as insulin sensitive as we want you to be. So we can't monitor insulin, but CGM is the best thing that we can do to get a proxy for how that insulin is working inside of our bodies. So I think CGMs should be worn on everyone at least two weeks, Mm -hmm. right? 14 days, Mm -hmm. get a lot of insights. Not everyone has to wear one forever, but it can at least give you an idea of, yeah, how is my insulin working? Um, Am I responding well to the meals that I'm eating? And are there any other factors from those four pillars that might be problems for me specifically? For sure. Yeah. And again, I think back to what I was saying earlier about the awareness component is it's like, Let's let's say that you you are someone that wants to try a variety of diets or you're you are someone that likes to try a variety of foods and you're just not quite sure how it affects you. Pop on a CGM, wear it for a couple of weeks, and you know, maybe maybe you could try, let's say, um a vegetarian diet for for two weeks. Maybe you could try omnivore diet, maybe you could try carnivore, or just you know, just kind of keep things mixed up because even for when you, when you were helping me out with my own data, 
I remember there was a couple of times when I probably didn't log a meal, <laughs> shame on me. Um, I probably didn't log a meal and you go, okay, well on this day at this time, I see a big spike and, you know, do you have any insight on what could have occurred? And because I, I pretty much have the same schedule with like what I eat and how I eat and things like that. I was like, oh yeah, on this day, I actually ate out. I had a, a meeting with a former colleague of mine and I ate out at a restaurant in which normally, I, I normally when I'm here in New York, especially, I cook at home. I use all of the, you know, the healthiest of oils and the healthiest of food that I can get. Right. And so it, it made sense to me that when I ate out, and I'm not quite sure what the oils are or what the type, you know, the source of the food is. It sort of made sense that I probably would have some kind of a spike. And so maybe let's use that as an example of, of how we could, we could mitigate that from happening. And is that a problem, right? Yeah, that's a great question. And we did see that in your data too. Uh, definitely in our app, the more you log, the better, right? If you're just logging a brief description or even an optional, you know, picture of your meal, you can go back and look at your responses and then compare them to all your other meals. And that just gives you power to fine tune your diet and kind of create the perfect plan for you. So we do offer that ability in the app. And then also when you log a meal, it will kind of calculate your specific response to that meal. So I guess we should start by what is a good response? Like what should we even be looking at? And mm -hmm. I do think that postprandial or after meal responses are one of the most important things that we should look at. And it's important to note too, that this isn't really a recognized metric that any of our governing bodies like the Diabetes Association are monitoring really. So we know from research that this is really important. This you know, high glucose levels from our meals repeated over and over can be one of those early warning signs or risk factors for cardiovascular disease and metabolic dysfunction. So the only way you can really get all of that information, unless you're picking your, pricking your finger every 15 minutes, is to wear a CGM and kind of see that, that data. And when we're looking for that spike, we're looking at three main things, right? So we want to see, first of all, what's your glucose before you start eating? Because that's kind of your baseline. And then we want to see how high you jump up. So our glucose works really, really hard, uh, or our body works really hard to keep our glucose in a very tightly controlled range for homeostasis. So when we mm -hmm. eat something, right, a lot of times it's a meal that we eat out or it's a processed food, right, that maybe we don't have as much control over the preparation, that can shoot our glucose up to higher ranges than we want. Um, and typically that's above 140. That's kind of the, the threshold we set in our app. So when we see that, that shows up in the app as red. So it's already alerting you, oh, this is a higher response. But that's not the only thing we're looking at. We're looking at also how big of a swing was that? Because if you started at a very low level and you shoot really, really high, that's a pretty big glucose swing. And we look for those because high glucose swings can cause us to feel a lot of things in the moment, right? Like changes in energy. We could have a drop in energy. We could have anxiety. We can have fatigue. We can feel really irritable. So those big shifts make us feel really cruddy in real time. But also over time, when this is repeated over and over, those are what can cause, you know, oxidative damage, insulin resistance um, over time. We're not really concerned with the occasional spike above threshold. I don't want to freak anyone out and think that they can never mm -hmm. have a, a higher value, but it's really about that repetition. And that's why just monitoring and seeing your glucose can be really helpful. 
Um, right. And then we also want to see that come down quickly, right? We talked a lot about insulin sensitivity. When you are insulin sensitive, your body's going to respond to that influx of glucose from your food by releasing insulin, and then your glucose is going to come down. So we want to see that come down within about two to three hours, close to where you started, where your glucose was when you started eating. So those are the three things we're monitoring, and the app kind of calculates those for you. But that's where you know I was monitoring your data, and I was like, "Hmm, this seems to be a little higher for you. What what happened here?" Uh, and yep. we were able to kind of reflect on that. Yeah, and and. So thanks for that, because that's that's the piece in which I would suggest someone to, 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 you know, if you're hearing this now, to make sure, if nothing else, to notate when you ate. And, and then you could obviously go back and, and, like you said, take a photo or you could, if you're really detailed, you could just mention what it is you ate. But even if you just said, OK, breakfast at this time, that should give you and yourself a an opportunity to go, OK. So this is where you were, uh, I guess, before the meal. This is what happened when you ate the meal. And then this is what happened after the meal, right? And that is that is very, very important because otherwise you might get Carly messaging you going, hey, what happened here? <laughs> um, which is fine. You know, like I, I was always kind of curious, like if I didn't hear from you for, for a couple of days, I guess I was like, well, I guess this is okay. <laughs> But then, you know, I get an email and you're like, okay, so on this date at this time, what happened? And I'm like, oh yeah, that was when I was flying. Um, right. But and I think before we go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but before we go on, I think the, the part that I would like for people to know is that this whole idea of insulin, the insulin is is like a regulator, right? And so, so it's important to know that that when you're when you are sensitive to insulin, that means that it's a good thing, right? And when you're not, when you're resistant or when you're not sensitive to insulin, that's when it becomes more of an issue. So if anyone was not clear, I hope that clears it up a little bit because you do want your body to be responding to, again, high levels of glucose. Well, that's when insulin, your insulin sensitivity kicks in and it helps to regulate everything. So yeah. I just want to clear that up because I was confused about that a while back, but now yeah. it seems a bit more clear. That's a really good point. And I think you make a good point too, that, you know, if you see that response, that doesn't mean that we have to you know eliminate that food or, oh, this is bad. You, you can't do this anymore. I think that just opens up that window of opportunity for us to, first of all, assess you know, maybe you're always spiking from sweet potatoes. Maybe we try a different type of starchy vegetable and see if that works better for you. We are such a unique blend of, you know, different microbiomes, uh, genetics, mm -hmm. different levels of exercise, which also affects our insulin sensitivity. So I think we can monitor this stuff and see, well, I'm having specific sensitivities to this food. Maybe I try different ones and, and I can have a better response. So I think a lot of times people will say, well, I don't want to give up these foods. These are foods that I love. And that's where I'm coming in and saying, well, how can we improve your response by trying some different strategies? And that all mm -hmm. works with, you know, trying to work with your insulin sensitivity. We talked a little bit about how we are much less insulin sensitive in the evening. So our body's insulin sensitivity is kind of aligned with our circadian rhythm. So I always mm -hmm. tell people to eat with the sun as much as you can, right? Because that's usually going to promote a better glycemic or glucose response. So that's one thing that we can change up. You know, if you're having a spike to this food and it's something you love, let's try it earlier in the day and see if you have a better response. Or um, let's try with protein first because protein is going to kind of counteract and mitigate that spike. 
So there's a lot of small little changes that we can make to, first of all, help your glucose feel, you know, be a little bit more stable. And that can also lead you to feel better throughout the day versus, you know, fluctuating energy levels or whatever you might be feeling. Right. And then I think it's also important to point out this idea because now nowadays there's a lot of people practicing intermittent fasting, right? So there is also going to be a difference in response to long periods of fasting with, with your glucose spike versus constantly feeding your body energy, right? So yeah. could you maybe touch on that a little bit? Oh, 100%. I think when we think about eating, right, we already touched on how insulin is secreted in, a, in the resp- response to glucose or to food. And so if we were constantly in a fed state, and I'm not talking about, you know, you're eating three meals a day. I mean, a lot of times that works well for people, but if you're snacking or grazing all the time, if you think about it, that's causing your body to produce and and kind of release insulin over and over and over throughout the day. So being in that constant fed state doesn't allow your glucose to return back to normal. It doesn't allow your body to rest and digest in between that insulin response. So for a lot of people, just incorporating a little bit of intermittent fasting, whether that's a 16, um, eight window or, um, whatever works for you that can help your body kind of rest in between those meals and have a less of an insulin response to whatever you're eating. So I think a lot of times we see that in the data, you will see a slow climb in glucose because we're eating frequently, right? We're not allowing our body to get through that glucose and get back to baseline. And so by addressing when we're eating, keeping that fasting level in a, in a level that works for you, that can be a really powerful strategy. And I will say that, you know, fasting is not right for everyone, 100%, but I have seen really great success with that 16, eight window, almost universally. Um, It's Mm -hmm. the shorter eating windows or the longer fast that we have to be, you know, more individual with. If you have a lot of stress in your lifestyle, that long fast could be detrimental to you. And that will definitely show in your glucose. Because we should see a pattern of, you know, decreased glucose when we fast. But if we start to see it increasing, that might be a sign that there's glucose from somewhere else. And so a lot of times that's stress, you know, if you have a lot of stress in your life and you're adding, you know, the small stress of fasting on top of that, that can be too much. That can be too much for your body. So I think just tracking your glucose, you can see what level of stress your body's at now and what strategies you can do to mitigate that long-term. I love this. And, and, and this brings up another, another cool point. So I, I love to pose different questions to people and almost act as like, um, you know, the, this sort of mediator between one side and another side or all the sides. And I've been hearing more and more about the female community and, and how, you know what, listen, like we as females, we, we should not be doing these long fasts because it's not good for our hormones and this and that. And while that there is some truth in that, of course, and I'm not a female, but I, you know, I work with lots of females and, and I've seen different, uh, you know, blood markers and, and CGMs and things like that. What we really need to be talking about more is what is your CGM saying? Right. Because each person is individualized. So whether that's a female, a male, a elderly person, a young person, um, we're all different. And so this is a strategy in which you can go, well, I hear what you're saying, but my data is saying something different. And and I think that's what we should be doing. We should be trying out more things because at the end of the day, we're all biohackers. Right. To some degree. 
And when you get a CGM, you're now thrust into this world, just like we are. <laughs> yes, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of times women or, I mean, anyone is looking online, they're looking for help and they see something that might've worked well for another person, a coach, someone that they admire or respect in the you know nutrition or fitness community. And that's great. That might've worked really well for them. But like I mentioned, we're all so different. So something that works well for one person might not work well for you. And you might actually see, you know, changes that are not great in your glucose from trying that strategy. A good example is a vegan diet, right? For some people that works well. For some people, their glucose stays stable. They're able to kind of stay satisfied throughout the day. Whereas other people have really high fluctuations from that type of diet. Same sort of thing with keto, right? And I think fasting is no different. For some people, maybe uh, for males, fasting really goes well. I haven't seen a whole lot of men struggle with fasting. They seem to do really well with it. But for women, we seem to be much more sensitive to the effects of stress. Um, We ruminate a little bit more. We have a little bit more stress. Our body works really hard to protect our fat stores. Um, And we have those hormonal changes and differences. So that is where we always say data over dogma and approaching it with this curiosity mindset, you know, not one size fits all diets anymore. It's just try it out. See if it works for you. Um, You'll never know until you measure. I love that. Um, I'm going to have to adopt that phrase data over dogma. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's very easy, especially nowadays with the this pandemic and this loss of, of actual human interaction and connection, I feel like more and more people are looking for their, their group, their community, and that's fine. That's good. But don't get, try not to get caught up in, well, you know, the person that I really support and I follow and I love his or her research, uh, he or she says, don't do this. So I'm not going to do that. Well, Take it for a couple of weeks, try it out, see if it works for you and be honest with yourself. Like, for example, um, I don't even think you and I talked about this yet, Carly, but um, for the longest time, well, in fact, my entire life, I had never gone without, I just discovered this, um, I had never gone without having grains and vegetables at the same time in my life. So I've, I've, I've been a vegetarian for a little bit, but well, I was a vegetarian for three and a half years. I, I tried veganism. I was a vegan for for a month or so, um, and then I went to the other end of the extreme. I've tried um, carnivore. I've tried animal base. I've done keto. I've pretty much done it all, except this is the first time in my life that I've gone completely without grains and vegetables for a period of time. And I had to be honest with myself and go, "Wow, no matter what the research out there is saying." I actually feel really good with, with, you know, doing away with some of the lectins and the, and the phytonutrients that come from, from certain plants. Now, again, this doesn't mean that I'm completely going away from plants. I did try that, but being more of an animal-based diet I'm seeing is working better for me. And, um, and this was something different between the first time I wish I had still had my data from uh, when I did the freestyle Libre from before, so we could compare, maybe I could dig that up. I'd love that. Um, yeah. Because it's like, this is, this is why I do what I do to be able to talk with people like yourself and to be able to have this information for people who are asking these questions, but you have to also be willing to make changes. And so one of my mantras is our bodies and minds adapt to what we do most of the time. If you want to change your body and mind, you must change what it is you do most of the time. 
And so when you have some, some data like a, what, what the data can provide from a CGM, you can actually make those educated changes. And that's what I'm looking for here. And that's why I wanted to have you on. So, wow. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think I see that a lot is that, you know, we're told X food is healthy or X food is not healthy. And so we want to do the best thing for our body. So we're following that advice, right? And we're only doing what, what we think is right. I don't think anyone has ill intentions here. Even the people that are giving advice and saying, this is the way I think they're trying to help people, but we're forgetting that we are all so unique and there's a lot of bio-individuality in each of us. So, you know, mm-hmm. grains might not work well for you. They, they don't really work well for me either, but I see a lot of people that do really well with them. And maybe they have smaller glucose responses to grains versus a sweet potato, which is considered quote unquote healthy, right? Or maybe right. fruit right. works well for them, but some starchy vegetables don't. And so I think taking into account what is my own body telling me Uh, what data can I get from what my metabolism is doing? That's going to help guide a more sustainable plan than anything you read online or anything that we read in a book, right? So if the answer seems too simple, it probably isn't the answer. That's what I always say. Like if if they're saying the answer is to eliminate this and you're going to be great, there's probably a little bit more nuance there and a little bit more we need to know about how our body's working to fully understand. Absolutely. And so, okay, a couple of things before I, I forget. Um, yeah. Like, I definitely want to do the sort of the, the do's and don'ts of, of wearing a monitor and things like that. But before we get there, um, I think it's important to also highlight. So I noticed this before when I did this on my own, and I noticed a little bit of a similarity to, to working with you through NutriSense, um, that whenever I would do a strength training workout, where let's say it was a more of a high intensity interval training or a, a legitimate like strength workout with like maybe my X3 bar or um, some actual weight, like a CrossFit style workout. I noticed that there would be more of a glucose spike. And then um, when I would do more of an endurance workout, so like, let's say I would go for an easy run or a jog or, um, or maybe a, a, a brisk walk, you know, for extended period of time, I would notice that my glucose would, would come down or level out. Um, are you finding that to be the case for a lot of people or, or what are your, what is your, your knowledge and experience there? Yes, that's definitely what we see in a lot of other users. I've seen it in my own data as well. So a lot of times with really, really high intensity exercise, uh, we are going to see this big glucose spike. And a lot of times that can be very concerning. People would say, what, I'm working out. How is this, you know, I'm spiking outside of range. Can you help me understand what's going on? And what we try and look at are two main factors. First of all, the, the energy state that your body's in. So whether you're fasted or fed and mm-hmm. the intensity of that workout. So if you think about it, just from what your body's utilizing as fuel, if you're doing a really intense workout and, or maybe a fasted workout, it's very possible that you don't have enough fuel on hand to supply and to move for those intense movements. And that's why a lot of times you'll see people that are doing boxing, right? Don't do as well on maybe a very, very low carb diet because they need more fuel available right then to do those really Mm -hmm. quick, high energy movements. And so what our body does, if we don't have that fuel available, is it's going to produce it on its own. So it's either going to release our stored glucose, right? or it's going to produce glucose on its own to fuel that movement. And so with that big surge of glucose, we're going to see a spike, right? 
there are a lot of other factors. You know, we think about hydration. You know, if you're mildly dehydrated during your workout, that could cause a bigger spike. Or if your electrolyte balance isn't where it needs to be, you could have that higher spike. But really what that's telling me is that your body is adapting to that increased fuel need by supplying that energy on its own, which is really cool. That shows us that our bodies are smart. They're going to adapt whenever we need it. Now, in maybe an endurance workout or like a lower intensity, we see the opposite, right? Um, Maybe we've recently eaten or maybe we're not using that energy really quickly. We usually can tap into our stores and kind of we see this drop gradually in glucose because we have enough fuel available to fuel that movement. Yeah, that, that's really cool the way you explain that. I also like to think of it as uh, as a stressor, right? And so we know what happens when when our body is in a stressed state, or we've at least learned that from talking with you now. Um, and I think people tend to separate workout from stressful situations. But at the end of the day, exercise is, is a stressor, right? It's, it's the, the physiological benefit we hope to gain from exercise is actually the recovery process in exercise, right? Yeah. Which is not a stressful state. So whenever, so the way it makes sense to me is like, okay, if you're going to go and really stress your body with a high intensity exercise, it makes sense that you should see a, a, a spike in glucose because your body's trying to deal and mitigate the stressor. Yes. So that's, yeah. Yes. That's a great way to put it too. Um, and I think we, we don't think of that as a stressor because we know it's a good thing and it is a good stressor, right? There's a lot of benefits from that. So even after, you know, one strength training workout or one really intense workout, we're going to see enhanced insulin sensitivity, better glucose responses for 24 to 48 hours afterwards. Mm-hmm. So although we see that, you know, stress, that exercise spike, we usually see a net positive benefit, which is the important distinction there. And you make a good point. Yeah. It is stressor. And every time our body feels it's understressed, it releases glucose. And that's an yep. important survival mechanism. You know, back in the day when we might have been running from a lion, we need that extra glucose to fuel our run, to fuel our movement. Um, so any stressor is going to produce that same response, which is not always yeah. harmful unless it's a chronic low level response to stress. You know, if you're having a stressful work environment, a stressful home environment, that just means your body's constantly thinking it's under threat or stress. So it's producing or releasing more glucose and that can cause those higher values consistently. So that's where we really need to be concerned. Well said. I love this. I love, I love the territory we get into just from this quick conversation. Um, so w- one of the things that I know concerned people and I was concerned as well about this is, can you take a shower with it? Um, you know, what about if you, if you're a swimmer, you're in, you know, you're on the West coast and you like to go to the beach a couple times a week. Um, so let, let's get into that because, you know, obviously I do my, my life as normal. The only thing that I try to wa- watch out for is like, if I'm in high intense heat situations or high cold situations. So the only thing I haven't done so far while wearing this is, um, any sort of like uh, infrared sauna, steam, steam saunas. Like I sometimes I like to do a hocket, which is this you know s- steam pod that the temperatures get pretty pretty intense. And then I haven't, I also have not done a um, an ice bath, which I love to do from time to time. But I try to stay away from those big 
those big swings in temperature. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right thing to th- to do, but it just kind of in my in my brain it made sense to not do that. But are there any other do's and don'ts you would recommend? Yeah, that's a great point. And with the sensor, it it is water resistant. So you can shower with it, you can work out, you can sweat, it's totally fine. It does have adhesive on the sensor itself, so it should stay put. But if you're really active, we always include just bandages that go over your sensor. Yeah. Because I mean, I've had mine bumped off just because I was working out and I accidentally bumped it. And it's such a bummer to lose out on that data. So we always provide a couple, you know, patches that you can wear that will protect it. With swimming specifically, we don't want to swim for longer than 30 minutes or longer or lower than three feet of depth. So the sensor is safe to swim in. We have had actually an Olympic swimmer I worked with. She would swim for two hours a session and do fine. So for some people, it's fine. But the official wow. you know, manufacturer recommendations are no longer than 30 minutes. So just protect so it. Cool. Yeah, she would. It was so cool to see her glucose too. But Kept it on the whole 14 days, swam two hours a day. She did great. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind. Use that bandage if you can just to protect it and make sure it stays put. And then with the sauna or with you know cryotherapy, really intense cold, we do often see false dips or spikes. So with sauna, mm. um, those high temperatures or you know with cryotherapy or cold exposure, really low temperatures, we see a drop. Sauna, we see a spike. And that's for a lot of different reasons. The first is that the temperature listed on for the manufacturer is, you know, in a tightly controlled range, I think it's 50 to 113. So if you're going above those ranges, you might see erroneous data that's just from that heat or that cold. But the other Mm. thing to think about is whenever we're in high temperatures, cold temperatures, there's going to be a fluid shift in our body. And the interstitial fluid is very, very sensitive to those fluid shifts. So that can cause our glucose to abnormally spike or drop. And that doesn't always mean it's a bad thing. You know, sometimes this past winter, people would message me like, hey, I'm out for a walk in the cold and my glucose just went to 50. Do I need to go home? And the big thing is if you're feeling great, if you don't feel any symptoms of low glucose, or if you don't feel really cruddy from that high glucose in the sauna, it is probably nothing to be concerned with. Those are both acute stressors on the body as well. So we have to take that into account too. Perfect. Okay. You, you, you've obviously done this a time or two. So <laughs> I love all the information that, that you're, you're giving and you're putting out. And, you know, I know at the beginning we talked about going over some of my, my actual data, but I think with the time constraints, we may have to save that for another conversation. But um, the, the thing that I do think is important is let's say a person has listened to this episode and they decide, okay, I want to do this, Josh. Like, quit talking, shut up and tell me what to do. What, what are the steps? How does this work? How do we get people doing, you know, finding out the same, the same information I'm finding out right now? How do they go about doing it? Yes. I think that's really important. And hopefully, you know, everyone knows that they should monitor glucose at least once in their life. And so a great way to start is just to visit our website. So we're at Nutrisense.io and you can explore our plans. We have a lot of different types of plans. So we have a if you just want to experiment, right? Maybe you're in a good place with your diet and you just want to make sure things are in the right place. Or if you don't know if you'd like wearing a CGM and you just want to try it out, we have a 14-day plan that's no commitment, no recurring fees. You just get one sensor and then you're assigned to a dietitian. So you get that data, but you also get that expert to kind of help you understand it and use it to your advantage. So all of our plans come with that. 
um, and you're working with the same dietitian the whole time. So they really get to know you and help you with your data, which is really cool. That's why I love my job. But um, Mm. I think that would be the first step. If you just want to give it a try, do the trial plan. There's no, you know, there's no risk. Um, And if you want to continue, say you find some things maybe that you want to work on or, oh, wow, I'm having this higher spike to XYZ, um, help me understand that and help me optimize. Then you can continue with a longer plan. We have monthly plans that are two CGMs a month. So you're basically monitoring for 28 days a month and you have access to that dietitian for the first month. So that will help you, you know, get a guided plan for where you need to go with that data. Um, We always like to think of our dietitians as a signal within the noise, because as you probably found when you first started tracking glucose, it's a lot. There's things that you're spiking to that you might not understand, or maybe your glucose drops and you want to know if that's a good or a bad thing. That's what we're there for is just to help you uh, become your own glucose expert and then use that data for good. Yeah, it's, it's, I have to admit, it's really nice having you there for support. You know, it's like, it, it's really, really cool. Um, and I, I, it wasn't jarring at all. And then now actually seeing you in person and talking to you makes it even more pleasant. So I look forward to doing more of this. And, you know, obviously uh, I'd love to have you back on so that we could, we could go over more data and I'll maybe put some of this out there like that. But um, um, one, one thing I want to do before we wrap up is I want to let people know that um, if you do decide you want to go through NutriSense, I do have a discount code and it's Josh25. And we'll list all of this stuff on the the uh, the show notes and we'll list this on our Instagram platform. But as many of the listeners know, anytime we do a show, I always like to finish with uh, what are your top two pet peeves? And then I like to finish on a positive note, a more positive note and ask what you're most grateful for. And then we'll finish with finding out more about you and the, and the services you offer. I love that. Um, well, I have to think a little bit about my, my pet peeves. I know my first one is people that um, use a lot of words just for using a lot of words. You know what I mean? So people you're talking yeah. to and you ask them a question, maybe it's a simple couple word question, and then you get lost in this vortex of them using this <laughs> flowery language and they're giving you all these buzzwords and um I really value, and I think there's a beauty to brevity and getting your point across in a way that's succinct and people can really run with. And so that's definitely one of my pet peeves. Um, I love it. Say what you mean and say it well. That's that's my thought. Um, and then the other I, one. <laughs> I used to have a, sorry to cut you off, but I used to have a, um, a, a friend um, that I used to work with and he had this, this saying that would be, Josh, save me the labor pains, just give me the baby. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's what you mean, right? <laughs> yes, I might steal that one from you. I like that. It's a good one. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, you know what I mean? Um, and then the second one, and I, th- I think you'll probably resonate with this based on our conversation today is people that don't think critically. So people that are stuck in one viewpoint and refuse to think that there are other options out there. Uh, there mm. I can't tell you how many things I've learned um, from my education or things that I thought in the past were not true. And I don't think if I wouldn't have had an open mind, I, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I wouldn't feel that I'm helping people because I'm I'm using the data that I have available. Science is always changing. Uh, what we're mm-hmm. learning is changing and we have to just keep that open mind. So 
I don't know if you follow Adam Grant, but he's an organizational psychologist that I love. And he recently posted like this hierarchy of, of thought, like rethinking. And at the very bottom was cult leader, right? And they always think I'm I'm always right. This is this is what what's there. At the top is scientist. And that's they're going into that with, I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong. And I think that's the mm. the viewpoint that we have to have to continue growing in this field. And um, so I value people that share that same thought. Amazing. I'll have to look into his work. That sounds amazing. Um, okay. So the pet peeves, obviously I like to throw out there just to kind of understand how a person ticks and, and what makes them, what, what kind of uh, gets under their skin a little bit. Um, you seem like a very, very positive person. So I'm sure you're ready for what you're grateful for, but what is something you're most grateful for regardless of, it doesn't have to be anything about your work. It can just be anything that comes to mind. Uh, I am a very, very positive person. I think it's hard for me to pick just three gratitudes every day, but I do I do write those down every single day. And I think, I, I know you said not about work, but that's probably one of the most, um, the biggest things that come to my mind, right? Is that I get to be in this space. I get to feel like I'm helping people um, in a really ethical way to make better life choices and help them live better quality lives. And I think that's all we could ever want. So I'm just very grateful to be in this space and to have this ability to help people use their own data to make changes. So um, I love it. That's so cool. Awesome. Well, I, I can see you beaming through this, this computer right now. And I'm happy that the technology worked to our advantage to allow us to be able to do this episode. Um, before we wrap, can you please let people know the best ways to find out more about you, more about NutriSense, where they can go to get signed up? Definitely. If you want to learn more about NutriSense, um, visit us on our website, NutriSense.io. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram, NutriSense.io. So we're always posting um, studies, uh, maybe experiments that our users have done, really fun things on, on Instagram specifically. So check us out there. And then you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn if you want to know more. Very cool. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening. Again, this is Carly Hayes from NutriSense. Uh, we're thrilled and excited. And please let us know if you if you are interested, shoot us a DM, shoot me a message. Um, I can get you connected with the, with the great folks at NutriSense. I will continue this up as long as I can and um, stay tuned for more. Hopefully we can get Carly back on. And uh, until next time, this is Simply Walk the Talk. Thank you for listening. Peace. Walk the talk, talking facts. Move like me, but I move a little fast. Make my move, here to last. Fasten these seatbelts, I'm coming past. Take care of me, longevity. Hack my biology, better believe. Walking the talk, so mind and body connected. Better come give us a listen. Better come give us a minute or two. Open the box up, we giving you tools. Giving your engine the fuel that it needs. Breathing into it, it's autoimmune. Make a connection, we're stronger in two. Making us one of a kind of a few. Work on the mind, but show me your moves. If you do what you say, you know what to do.